0: It's been a few weeks since we've been in our study on Bible lists, but we're still in that. I haven't run out of lists to look at in Wilmington's Wilmington's collection of Bible lists, and I've expanded some of these, but um, we were looking at numbers in the Bible, not the book of numbers, but numbers as in the numeric values that are uh, found in the scriptures, and last time we ended with the number seven, and seven was that number of completion. And that number that also signified God ceasing from his labors. And it's a number associated with God. And we looked at many verses that dealt with that um, and that divine number. And we come tonight to the number eight. And that's where we're going to go. And before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we open up your book again, recognizing it is your word. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for every detail in the Bible and how it is accurate. And Lord, how so much of it really tells us of a bigger plan. And so, Lord, as we look at this tonight, help us to do so more than just a, an academic exercise, but Lord, a spiritual exercise, so that we might draw closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The number eight, and as you come across the number eight, you find that it is associated most often with the new beginning or Uh, A a fresh start, I guess you would kind of say in that way. And the first time we see this number used in context is in Genesis chapter 7 and in verse 13. And it says, On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. Now, we find, if you count those, you can trust me, it's eight people that entered into the ark. And then the flood came and they were spared in genesis seven twenty five It says that um, in the end of this verse, it says they were destroyed from the earth, only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive i 'm glad for those eight people, and we are descendants from those eight people that went into the ark uh, and all all uh, mankind is in second Peter chapter two verse f- uh, five that 's reiterated there where Peter writes, it says, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. And again, showing a new beginning, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the the ungodly. Um, And then the number eight is also significant in that it was the day that the... A Jewish male would be circumcised. It was the eighth day. In the first instance of that, uh, in the time of Abraham, um, and it talks about here, uh, his son, who was, who, he says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. And every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. And it basically that was what god told abraham and he took the mark of circumcision as a male um, but you had to be at least eight days old and that was reiterated again in the law under moses in leviticus 12 verse 3 and on the eighth day the flesh of the of his foreskin shall be circumcised and now it's interesting that there's that very specific detail and someone say why eight what's the significance of that in in modern times um they usually do that on like day two if you want to know with with male infants that take that um surgical procedure and um the short answer is of course god said it right and god knew why and i think it was, there was a couple different reasons part of that the jews held in their teaching that uh by the time you reach eight days you've at least had one Shabbat, one Sabbath that you have seen. And you have had one day where you ceased from your activity, even as a baby. And then on that eighth day, you would be circumcised. But it's interesting that in um, modern medicine, we know a little bit more about the human body, and God didn't spell out all the things, but certainly God knows everything about the human body. He's the one that created us. And it's on the eighth day of uh, approximately eight days, and that's the day that a baby from the time they're born to where um, their immune system is now taking over pretty much in their own body um, with the help of what they're getting from their mother in, in milk and all of that but also it is where their vitamin K levels spike on the eighth day and you need vitamin K to have blood clot so the cutting off of skin would, would be probably more dangerous in days preceding that day uh, in modern days here they actually give babies vitamin k um, right after they're born to help clotting if they have an injury or something like that so god knew what he was doing didn't he well that was the law and the law was there and i think there's a lot more that could be said about that whole thing and it i think it it signified that um this sign that that male child was not just his own but he was God's every part of him was God's and even the most intimate of parts uh, belonged really to God and he was reminded of that constantly in that Um, in Luke's gospel we read this in reference to John the Baptist remember so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias but what else, what they were told, or Zacharias was told, that that wasn't supposed to be, his name was going to be called John. And so he was named John. And Jewish babies would take their names uh, when they took the mark of circumcision for males. And that was on day eight. They wouldn't even be named before that. And by the way, that's the same thing that occurred with Jesus. In the next chapter of Luke, it says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So again, I think that that's significant. And it just tells us that when the Bible says that Jesus came to this earth, it says in in Galatians, the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, right, Um, and made under the law, under the law. And that was both the law of God, the law that God laid out here, and the laws of nature and all of those things. He was under the law, and he did that. Paul also identifies himself with that mark. In Philippians chapter three, verse five, it says, he says of himself, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. And there he was talking about his heritage and how he was someone who basically kept the law in every way and yet he was lost wasn't he and so it wasn't the mark of physical circumcision that saved anybody and the bible further teaches that but instead god wants our hearts to belong to him and to circumcise the flesh of our hearts that's really where it where it matters in that well eight eight is the number that is used for that and by the way Um, new beginnings i think of john chapter 20 you have in verse 25 the end of the day the resurrection day it is the end of that day and jesus appears to his disciples as they're uh, in a locked upper room and thomas is not there and look what it says the other disciples therefore said to him we have seen the lord and so he said to them, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of, his, of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And when you go to verse 26, it's now eight days later. It says, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Eighth day. And the next verse It says here, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas believed. It's a good thing for new beginnings, right? It's a good thing that I had a new beginning. And you, if you're a Christian, you had a new beginning. And um, it maybe wasn't on an eighth day of something, but the eighth day symbolizes that often in scripture. And we see that. And there's other times the number eight appears. It isn't necessarily significant to that. But there are a number of different things that come out of that. Um, Number nine. Number nine in the scripture is the the fullness of blessing and finality. And that's how it appears. Number nine, the fullness of blessing and finality. Uh, And the first one there, let me see. Um, I have this. On the Day of Atonement. Interesting here. It says, It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So it was on that ninth day of the month uh, that they were to every year in that month they were to have a Shabbat, a, a ceasing a Sabbath a high Sabbath and it was again associated with that and it was the day of atonement was a time when the high priest would go in and he would go in and offer sacrifice first for himself a sinner a blood offering and then he would go in and offer a blood offering a sacrifice uh, on behalf of the people as their mediator and he would do that And again, it was a picture of the fullness and the completeness of God's work in Christ. Because we're going to get to that in our study in the book of Hebrews. But it's the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of ashes of a heifer and all that could not take away sin. Couldn't do it. But it symbolized one who would. And come to Matthew's gospel... In Matthew 27, 45, and now from the 6th hour until the ninth hour. 3 p.m. is the ninth hour. Um, that would not, in our day it isn't, but remember the Jews had their days, and they would start that day at 6. And the ninth hour of that, 6 a.m., would be 3 p.m. So that's how they get that. And it says, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you have salvation paid for, or sin paid for, salvation fully accomplished in the resurrection of Christ, but it occurs at the ninth hour when that happens. Here's another interesting fact, how don't know how if you can prove it prove it but because our calendars are a little askew and there's some variations of calendars and things like that but um, most often the the traditional view of in, in lining up with our current calendar uh, of the death of christ uh, the crucifixion occurred on march 31st ad 30 that's about the the date when it occurred which happens to be the ninth day of Nisan. <laughs> the ninth day of Nisan on the Hebrew calendar of that year. Um, So, in that. And then Jesus made nine post-resurrection appearances. Again, the significance of that, maybe. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that you have the number nine associated with completeness and finality, and you have those things occurring in that. Um, There are other things that are are nines. Um, For instance, well... How about this Acts 10 verse 30 about the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him Cornelius Cornelius was a centurion and you have the gospel going from the Jew primarily that's like the first years of the book of Acts now going to the Gentiles Cornelius is a Gentile and Peter goes down to him after God commands him to and He's able to um, go and and share the gospel, basically the truth, with Cornelius, a man that already had a lot of knowledge of this stuff, but it falls into place when the evangelist Peter goes and talks to him, and the man is baptized in his household. And again, happens on the ninth hour of the day when he had that vision. Um, There are nine fruits of the Spirit, right? Right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The nine full fruits of the Spirit of God. Fullness. There are other nines that are significant. Like, for instance, Sarah was 90 years old at the birth of Isaac. Right? 90. That's Genesis 17 17. And, again, that's just... I just note it. I mean, how significant that is, I don't know. Um, some have said there's also other things. Like if you look at the Spirit of God or the the fruit of the Spirit, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, there are eighteen spiritual gifts mentioned. So eighteen is a um, uh, is you know obviously two nines, right? Put together. I don't know. Those are just things that you can do. You can read way too much into this too. But I'm just saying these are things that are interesting and people have pointed that out um, as you look at scripture. Uh, I don't think it changes any doctrine or all those things, but there are some things that are there. Well, we'll move on. Ten. Ten is the number of human government. And we see that in scripture in a number of places. For example, um, before there is even government, you have the generations that go from Adam to Noah, right? Right? And guess how many generations there are? Ten. Ten generations. Um, there were ten plagues in Egypt that were accomplished before Pharaoh said his government couldn't fix it. Right? And Pharaoh said, let my people go. Or, or allowed Moses to let his people go. Right? Um, when Moses went to him in doing that. Ten plagues to accomplish the judgment of God on Egypt in that. Uh, You have ten sons of Haman in the book of Esther. Then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow, according to today's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. And they were. And there goes Haman's political career right there, again, in that. And so the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. In the book of Daniel, he has this interpretation of the vision, the ten horns are ten kings. This is a revived Roman Empire, or a Roman Empire, then a revived Roman Empire later. Who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones and they and shall subdue three kings and but you have 10 kingdoms that come out of that 10 kings and cuz he goes on and explains that in the book of revelation that repeats itself in a revived roman empire in revelation 17:12 it says then the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings Who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And again, the highest form of human government falls short of God's government, doesn't it? And it falls short because the best Satan can offer is these ten kings. That's it. Uh, And they will eventually be judged in that way. But it's just, again, a picture of... Too often, as you go through scripture, you see these groupings of ten, and it's in reference to governing. In the book of Ruth, chapter 4. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down, and there they judged the situation of Ruth and the kinsman redeemer. All of that. So, ten. Ten. The number of human government. Now you have twelve. All right, <laughs> we jump. There's no eleven. There's probably elevens in the Bible, but it's not. I guess that significant. Uh, twelve, the number of divine government. Twelve. So you get that. Um, you start off well. Genesis forty nine twenty eight, right? And these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And there were twelve tribes, weren't there? Twelve families. And out of those 12 families would arise a nation, and out of that nation, out of one of the tribes, would arise a Savior, the Messiah. Would come out of God's plan, not man's plan, in that. Uh, We find uh, also when Jesus had his disciples, how many were there? Twelve, right? And he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. Um, you come to the book of Revelation, by those 12 disciples and then 12 apostles, right? That significance of 12. Uh, Revelation 21, in verse 12, <laughs> there you go, verse 12, uh, also says here, this is a reference to the New Jerusalem. She had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And then you go down to verse 14, it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So the very foundations of the new Jerusalem, um, and that city, which is the, right, you know, it, it is basically the the center of the kingdom of god and when you think about that the eternal kingdom of god and it has the number 12 associated with it uh, in its founding in in those things um, hope i'm not losing you on all this but anyways mostly just interesting i do think that details are important in scripture some are more important than the other uh, you come to the number 30 all right we jump ahead 30 30 is the number of sorrow and mourning sorrow and mourning and we see the number 30 associated with that often in scripture for instance numbers chapter 20 and verse 29 we have the death of Aaron and it says all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days then Moses and the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended so there was a time frame of mourning and it was associated with 30 days of mourning in that. In Judges chapter 14, we were here not long ago looking at the life of Samson. And remember what Samson has a riddle in that chapter and he didn't think anybody was going to figure it out. And his wife got him to tell what it was and she told the men and he had wagered a bet of clothing and all of the things that go on with that. And so Samson in his rage of having been deceived and the men finding out the answer to the riddle, he goes and he kills 30 men and creates great sorrow for Ashkelon and the Philistines. And it says, um, but if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And then it goes on to say in that, that he went and he killed 30 of their men. When he, he, made, he made good on his deal, but it cost the blood of men in doing that. So you have that. Uh, 30. It was at age 30 Jesus began his public ministry. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and um that's important because by the way, that was the thirty the year thirty was the year that a rabbi could enter into public ministry. They felt that a man by age thirty had finally matured. <laughs> women, probably it's only like fifteen, but men it takes them to thirty but uh they they that was something that was. Under the traditions of men. It's not spelled out in scripture in that way. But the pattern is seen there. And Jesus again. Began his ministry at age 30. Right in his prime. And he did that. And. It was 30 pieces of silver. That betrayed him. That Judas betrayed him with. Right? In Matthew 27.3. It says. It says. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. Pretty sad scene, a sorrowful scene. And they went and took that money and they bought a field with it. And it was prophetic of what Jeremiah prophesied in the Old Testament about the potter's field, right? And that's what they did with that money. And it was there as a field of blood. Sad place. By the way, Jesus was known as the man of sorrows, wasn't he? Isaiah 53, which reveals the the ministry of Christ and why he came in a prophetic sense, because it was 700 years before he came that Isaiah writes this. He writes, "...who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness and But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By the way, the, Isaiah is prophesying this as if it's past tense. Right? When he goes and he says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Right? and we esteemed him, and smitten by God, afflicted, all that. From the perspective of God, the the suffering of Christ, the man of sorrows, was something accomplished in eternity past. And it was done. And it's just like it always has happened. So when Isaiah prophesies, he, he gets it right. Many today who, like for, for Jews that are observant Jews, that would not embrace Jesus as Messiah they they won't even study this passage of scripture because it is so clear i think very clear that the Messiah is one who had to come and suffer his first coming was one of suffering and sorrow his second coming will be one of victory and many want that kind of messiah they want a messiah to come back and straighten it all out and fix it and elevate himself as king but they don't see that he first had to come and suffer for our sin so that those of us carrying that sorrow and grief could be made right with God, right? I'm glad for that. So you have 30 as a number that is associated there with that. Um, I didn't think I'd get too much further, but I'll just quickly just tell you these. All right, There's, there's a few more, and I don't have the references up in front of you, but the number 40. The number 40 is a number associated with testing and trial. You have the, the flood. How many days did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights, right? Uh, you have Moses spent how many years in the desert? 40. Israel spied out the land for how many days? Hey, that's right, 40. If you, you didn't figure out 40 was the answer to all these, just in case you know. Moses spent how many days on Mount Sinai? 40. Israel wandered how many years in the desert? 40 years. years. Goliath taunted Israel for how many days? 40 days. Jonah preached repentance to Nineveh for 40 days. Boy, you guys are smart. (laughs) Jesus spent how many days in the wilderness before being tempted? 30. (laughs) 40. He did spend 30, but he actually spent 10 more too. He, He spent 40 days. And there were... How many days between the resurrection and the ascension of Christ? 40 days. 40 days. How about that? So those are all things you can look at. But 40 is associated with the number of, uh, um, of tri- a trial is what it is. The number of testing. The number 50. And the number 50 is associated with celebration and ceremony. How about that? um the feast of weeks or a feast of thanksgiving which is recorded for us was 50 days after the passover all right so you have the passover which represented the sacrifice and 50 days later was the celebration of thanksgiving right the feast of weeks the 50th year was to be a year of what jubilee and what occurred in the year of jubilee yeah everything reverted back if you had a debt it was forgiven if you had a slave they were freed Um, it was a time where it was again like a new beginning but it was a celebration and it was a year and it was also a year of rests for the land and all those things and in that Um, 50 Absalom he was the proud son of david but he didn't like his father david but you know he was the rebellious son and absalom thought he was really something and he had 50 men that ran in front of him whenever absalom showed up he had 50 men ahead of him all the time again celebration you know in that way not necessarily in a positive light um adonijah did the same thing and then you have pentecost occurring how many days after the resurrection 50, and the word penta being 50 in that way, Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection, and again, the fulfillment of those things when we, we see how that's laid out, um, and then the last one is 70, the number 70 and 70 is associated with human committees and judgment so, human human committees, I mean, we're going to die by committees, right, and I, that's what they always talk about, but um, if you think about that, Moses appointed seventy elders. That's in the book of Numbers, chapter eleven. Tyre was to be judged for seventy years. Israel spent seventy years in Babylon. God would accomplish his total plan upon Israel in seventy times seven years, according to Daniel nine twenty four. Jesus appointed in, in Luke ten one, how many disciples? There were 12, the immediate, but there were 70 disciples, as according to Luke 10. Jesus appointed 70 disciples. How about that? And then the Sanhedrin, which was the religious governing body at that time, was made up of, guess how many elders? 70! Telling you, the numbers are important in Scripture. So, how about that? Well, you've gotten through the numbers, all right, and the details of that. And I don't know if it's helpful. But next time you're reading your Bible and you see a number you might remember something and say, "Oh yeah, we talked about that." And you know, sometimes people read more into it than is necessary. Um, and there's lots of hokey stuff out there, you know, that they'll they'll take the King James Bible and they'll say the, you know, the the 70th verse of this letter of seven, you know, and they'll go in and it says that and now I wouldn't go that deep with that stuff. I would just say, "Clear. Yes, sir." What's that? Yeah, seventy years. I know, seventy years. And it's appointed unto men once to die, you know. And then after that, the judgment. Right. I'm glad that we lived past seventy too. So, you know, that's not. I'm not saying that, but but that's what the Bible says. You know, it is the average lifespan. It sort of is, isn't it? You know. Yeah. So, kind of neat stuff. There's probably a lot more of those seventies and stuff like that. I just didn't have time to to chase all those things down this week in that. But I thought that was pretty cool. Any other thoughts? I was just you didn't mention the Ten Commandments. Oh, yeah, that's true. I know. Ten commandments. Yeah, that's true. And you have uh you have all all kinds of other numbers associated with that too, so oh, that's that's true. Yeah. Oh that's good. Well let's pray lord we're good. we're glad for the the bible and thank you again for those details like numbers and other things that are found here and but lord in all of that i pray we might see the big picture also that you entered into our realm and lord you did so in the very perfect fullness of time and you yet are inhabiting eternity at the same time and Lord, our little brains, my brain certainly can't handle all that. But I think of it, Lord. I think just what wonderful love and grace extended to us. And Lord, thank you for the infinite wisdom of who you are. How you know us. You know our frame. You know our, our bodies. You know how we're very, every element in our body is made up. And you can breathe life into those elements. And Lord, thank you for eternal life also. It is given to us through Jesus Christ. And may he be exalted in our lives this week. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks, folks.